Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm thrilled to be talking about the wonderful film Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning with the visual effects team. We are talking to the visual effects supervisors from ILM, including Alex Woodka, Simone Coco, Jeff Sutherland, and Neil Corbold. Um, and maybe starting with you, Alex, um, I was just interested in kind of the early conversations with Christopher McQuarrie, the director of, of Mission Impossible, um, in starting to look at the history of this franchise, because obviously the audience have a certain idea of visually of, of what these films look like, what they feel like as an audience member. Um, but every single film is always kind of elevated on what's been done before and especially right. building on new technologies. And so I was just very interested in what those early conversations looked like in creating the roadmap and the blueprint for this one. Yeah, I mean, we so we started off having conversations early in 2019, so quite a while ago now. Um, you know, the first conversations were really about sort of location. Um, Chris was in the midst of doing his kind of world tour uh, with Jake Myers, his producer. And, you know, they were kind of going around all these different global locations and they were they were looking for um, interesting places to, to stage action sequences. Um, you know, so we talked a lot about the philosophy of that. You know, he was he was really interested in finding some sort of terrain or some new terrain that would enable something different, uh, you know, in a, in a chase. Um, so, you know, we were, we were talking about that. We, we talked about, you know, once, once he decided on this sort of terrain, you know, what, what kind of different ways we could shoot this, you know, what sort of interesting and, and novel ways we could shoot this would be, um, obviously Tom likes to do his own stunts. So that's kind of first and foremost and, and really takes kind of center stage when it, when it comes to staging action. Um, you know, a lot of it is, is how do we, how do we take the camera with, with Tom, you know, through these kind of really interesting uh, sort of ideas for action sequences that he was having. So yeah, early early doors conversations, right? You know, cut straight to the chase. How how are we going to do something new that hasn't been seen before? I love that. And and Simone, maybe I'll come to you with the next question. Um, you know, I was I was interested because obviously Christopher McQuarrie and Tom, they love to film so many things in camera. You know, that stunt work is really him doing the stunts, as Alex was saying. Um, and I was interested in working on the visual effects where you're really kind of like enhancing and evolving scenes, how having a lot of the stunt work in particular filmed in camera really actually helps you as a team in terms of what you're then building on top of it. Uh, well, definitely, it's, it's, it's amazing because we need the main main thing with Macquarie and um, and um, uh, and Tom is that why why you want to what they want to do is try to um, sorry sorry it's trying to to make the visual effects invisible so need to be part of the story it doesn't need to uh, distract the audience uh, so what he's trying to do is just to make sure that we we never you know, touch the, the performance of Tom and making sure that everything around it, it feels seamlessly integrated into, especially, especially the jump, integrated into the mountain and the visual effects. Yeah, I love that. And and Jeff, I'm going to come to you next. And, you know, I, I love the way that there's a lot of visual mapping that goes on on location um, so that you can then when you need to kind of utilize that footage for like everything that you're building into frames. And if there's something where, you know, say like the train sequence where a lot of it's filmed on a train, but then there's certain things that have to be done on a backdrop, back lot. Um, I was just interested in what that process looks like in terms of the visual mapping that happens on location and how that really helps you once you're in the post-production stage of the film. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, because of the way how you're describing the way the things are shot and how Alex was describing it, it's like, you know, a lot of it is becomes kind of reacting to what's shot a little bit. So it kind of makes it a little bit in a way, it's kind of a more organic way of putting the shots together, because every shot has got its own kind of needs and sort of slightly different from the one before. And in, you know, a show that might be kind of all CG sequences, it gets a little bit more assembly line with like, you know, you're, you're building the environment, this goes on that, you know what every shot's going to need and you kind of put it together um, in kind of a predictable way. And this you're kind of reacting to it. It's like, you might have, I mean, you have locate, you know, beautiful location photography, you have to kind of tie into and match to, um, but then, you know, but it's shot, you know, for these couple of shots, it's on a back lot or something and you have to, and we, we take all the sort of surveyed data, we kind of recreate the environment as best we can. Um, and then, um, you know, it has to cut together. And so the audience isn't conscious of that jump. Absolutely. And, and Neil, you know, so much of, of why I think a lot of Mission Impossible works is it's taking these very heightened circumstances, but kind of visually telling the story in a way that feels very realistic and attainable because you have these real locations, because the movements of things on screen all feel very real. You know, when things are moving through the train, it's real world objects. You know, the submarine feels very connected and very real. Um, and so what is the experience of, of working on visual effects where in essence, you have these real set locations and you're just finding those little touches of where things can feel a little bit more heightened and a little bit more intense for some of the tension and some of the action of the film. Well, I think with, you know, with the practical side, it's really, you know, especially with the train sequence, you know, that was, there was nine different rigs to, you know, big hydraulic rigs and, and, and train carriages and, and, you know, he, it's not like he's work, he's doing this stuff on the ground either. You know, the, a lot of the rigs were like eight, nine meters up in the air. Um, so it, it, you know, it gives the, it gives you that feel as well that you are, you know, you're actually up there with, you know, with, um, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, outside. So, um, it's, it's, uh, you, the thing with working with Tom and McHugh is that, you know, they want as much real stuff as they can. So, you know, we literally built a, you know, uh, the, right at the beginning, McHugh said, "I want to crash a, a steam train." So uh, that you can't buy a steam train to crash, and plus they weigh about 160 tons. So uh, we had to build it, you know, from scratch. And then, um, and then he said, "Yeah, well, I, I want to blow a bridge up, and I want to drive the train off the bridge." So you know, it just kept escalating and escalating. Oh, by the way, I want the the, the prop train that we're building to go on a public railway. So, you know, that opened up another can of worms that we had to certify our steam train to go on a, on a public track. So, you know, they certainly keep us on our toes uh, to, 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 get the, um, to get the look that they want. I love that. And, and in starting to talk about, you know, some of the specific scenes that, that have visual effects that really just enhance everything so wonderfully, I wanted to start by talking about the submarine sequence at the beginning, because um, I was interested in the facet of thinking about realistically, what would this look like? What would this feel like? Um, right. You know, but then again, also, okay, maybe we can allow for like a little bit more visibility into the water for the sake of storytelling, because the audience mm -hmm. probably haven't had the experience of going down in a submarine. Um, and so how did you kind of all figure out visually how you wanted to explore that that's, that particular sequence? Yeah, that that's a really interesting one. It's it's kind of, you know, the the observable reality if you were to actually kind of go down into the, you know, below the Arctic, 
you know, the kind of depths we're talking about and 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 try and film a a real submarine, light falls off within literally within meters. So it would be pitch black, uh, which does doesn't obviously make for a very exciting sequence. Um, so, you know, the, the way that we looked at it was, you know, there's not much visual reference either, you know, for precisely those reasons. So, so the audience doesn't really have a sort of any sort of reference point. There's no sort of real keystone visually for them um, to look at this. But what but what people are really familiar with is is some of the old classics like Hunt for Red October and Crimson Tide, you know, movies like this. So that that almost becomes the observable reality um, that you're kind of pinning everything off of. Um, it also helps that, you know, it's, it's one of Tom's favourite films, Crimson Tide, and McHugh loves Hunt for October. So it felt like a natural fit to kind of gun for that in terms of an aesthetic. Um, we originally wanted to shoot that in the style that they would have shot those things, you know, back in the day, kind of big miniatures, um, fill up a, a warehouse with mineral smoke and, big model movers and, and kind of pull these, you know, pull these great big models through these these volumes. But because of what the submarine had to do in the sequence, that became logistically just impossible. Uh, so we kind of went with a digital route. But when we went that route, we we sort of tried to make it in the style of in these old films. So, you know, we, we kind of built a 3D volume of, of smoke and we kind of built our digital submarine and, and pulled our digital submarine through that digital smoke so it's kind of like an analog of of uh you know the kind of the old school model miniature shoot um and it kind of gave us a really nice look and a really nice aesthetic and you know everyone seemed pretty happy with that yeah look it looks great and you know with that sequence as well i wanted to ask you all about just the intricacies that come even into just working with like the movement of water you know those sequences where we're seeing the submarine move through the water we're seeing kind of like the missiles launch from it and then also just thinking very specifically about shadow and light underwater because it's obviously very different to when you're doing visual effects for above land pieces as well yeah absolutely i mean you know the, all of the all of the fluid dynamics kind of come into play um you know there's there's very specific sets of simulations that you run uh to sort of get those qualities you know all the bubbles uh the kind of the cavitation on the uh torpedoes you know way that, that works underwater but also you know subtleties of the way that the camera should move underwater you can't you know you can't move a camera physically through water very quickly and you can't do these kind of nice whip pans and you can't do all sorts of things and it's hard to keep the camera stable um so all of that we're replicating all of that and pushing that into into you know into the way that the camera moves and the way that you frame shots as well and it's kind of one of these really subtle bits of reality that sort of fool you into thinking that you're actually underwater so yeah it's kind of all important yeah and 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 also i was interested for all of you as well in just there's throughout the movie, there's multiple sequences of kind of like the the face masks of another character that we see lifted on and off at different moments. Um, and I was interested in just how those were filmed practically on site to then be enhanced with effects to make it feel like a very realistic thing that's happening in one swift motion. Because I'm sure that what was filmed wasn't just a quick swift motion that looked perfect in, in take one. Uh, I mean, Jeff, you, you could probably talk to this. I mean, in terms of shooting, you know, it's kind of we were lucky enough to have a our a camera operator chunky richmond who's a human motion control machine 
Um, so, you know, we do these in multiple passes, often on a steady cam, um, because that's the language of, of the movie. Um, but in terms of putting all those things together, Jeff, I don't know if you want to. Yeah. I mean, the, the... Those are those are really fun ones to work on. I think the the artists actually like working on those the best too because they're so iconic. Um, but the uh, I mean the great the you know the interesting part about them or some of the interesting parts about them is just that they're all kind of their own puzzle in a way. And they're even though you kind of think of them as all right, this is a masterful shot or whatever. Um, they're all you know they're all in different contexts, uh, different amounts of motion on the camera maybe, or different you know different kind of other things that kind of work into the the context of the shot. Um, so you end up you know kind of approaching them as you know in a unique puzzle, and it kind of gives the artist a chance to explore it too a little bit. You know, how, um, so you're kind of working with the artist to kind of work that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it starts with shooting the elements very carefully to kind of give you the best chance of of, of having them work out. And then there's like a combination of different techniques, I think, that go into it. There's, a, you know, sometimes there's digital reprojections that you do. Sometimes there's, um, you know, just sort of um, kind of old school tricks, like you look, you know, look over here while something's happening over here, that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it just makes for fun shots to kind of put together. But like a technological so, magician. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely no kind of uh, single approach to those, I think. That's so great. And and Neil and, and Simone, um, I wanted to also ask about just computer technology within the film, because you kind of want it to feel slightly futuristic, but also attainable and believable in the world that we live in in the present. So even just when you're coming up with the screens that they're looking at or the software that they're working with and how they're interacting with that, um, what goes into those sorts of creative choices for you both? Oh, that's... That's the top part that I did it, but um, you need to be always, you know, up to date with everything that is is out there. I think Jeff did did it, did it, did you do just some of the in London? Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, there was there's you know obviously a lot of graphic elements in the in these movies too, you know, that we're kind of working with all the time. We had, there was um, another house that was providing our um, the graphics to us. Um, you know, I'm just thinking like one of the kind of uh, themes in the movie was kind of how they had to go back to this old technology, um, you know, to kind of, you know, because of the entity was, was, you know, was making it, uh, you know, so, so there's a, there's a big sort of historical kind of analog vibe to a lot of what's, what's going on in some of the sequences. Um, and we, one of the most challenging kind of um, sequences in terms of dealing with graphics and everything was when they're using like a whole array of old CRT monitors as kind of like to kind of, um, to, basically make up their their kind of graphic interface for 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 the technology that they're using um you know you know you kind of talk about it it's, it's sort of almost as if it's like oh it's a monitor replacement shot except there's like you know 200 monitors in the frame and all and the image plays across all of them and you have to make them all feel like they're analog technology um so we had fun doing that it was like uh, we basically you know we got the graphics mapped across the, the whole wall of monitors that we were putting them on and then we would kind of individually treat them to kind of make them feel like the old analog monitors that they were playing back on. 
Yeah. And I, I'm not sure which which of you guys worked on um, the, the luggage handling sequence with Simon Pegg's character. Um, but the effects on that are incredible because it really was just, you know, up close camera. And then there's an entire backdrop of luggage moving everywhere that you guys created. Um, you know, and you have to have so many things at top of mind, like making sure that if this luggage was over here and it's on that conveyor belt, that it's like moving in the right motion and you're not repeating bags everywhere. And what's the lighting at different places in the room? So I was just interested interested in some of the creative challenges in creating a scene like that, that on the surface potentially seems like it could be more simple and straightforward, but actually is incredibly complex. Yeah. I mean, actually kind of anecdotally, we, we, uh, you know, we were given access to a working luggage facility uh, in an airport in Abu Dhabi that was under construction. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an amazing bit of machinery. Uh, you know, there's conveyor belts absolutely everywhere. It's vast. Uh, there's a huge amount of moving parts within it. And, you know, the original plan was that we were going to go and shoot, you know, right in the middle of this complex. Um, with the only problem being that, you know, most of the crew kept getting lost. Um, so, you know, we'd, we'd turn up and, you know, camera were sort of, you know, 500 metres in one direction and, you know, the grips were somewhere else and no one knew where anyone else was. So we had to kind of abandon that as a principle pretty quickly but you know what it what it did allow us to do was to kind of do a bit of a survey um of, of that whole working facility so we could scan uh and photograph all of the various constituent parts and then when we got back to the stage um you know we could shoot simon against a small section of of that machinery uh the art department would construct but then you know, uh, the, the good folks at ILM, Jeff and Simone, they, they sort of built this amazing uh, kit of parts that enabled us to create this big maze of machinery around around Benji. Uh, and it was, yeah, it's quite the feat. Uh, it was it was huge, I think, in the end, the extension. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty big. Yeah. And we had to build as well all the, the belts, all the, anim the animator had to do, you know, to animate all the belts and the bags going on top of it. And yeah, as a, quite a good challenge. <laughs> what what was kind of the biggest challenge for you in working on that, Simone? Uh, on the movie or on the... On, on that particular on that... sequence? No, uh, I just make it be believable and realistic, yeah. you know. It, that was the biggest challenge. Yeah. I also wanted to talk about the car chase sequence because again, I think you all do such a wonderful job at just really elevating the tension of scenes like that and finding those little fine-tuned visual moments um, as much as the bigger pieces. But I was interested in filming the sequence where the car is going down the steps because the car chase was very much filmed on location uh, with streets closed off, but that was the one space that you couldn't actually film on location for. So I was interested in um, you know, how that was how that was shot and how visual effects really played a huge hand in that part of the sequence because it has to believably match the entire rest of that sequence in the movie to work. Yeah, I mean that that was a sort of a huge joint effort. And we we should we should really talk about um, you know, we should talk about Neil's uh, electrified fiat at some point. But um because that's really the star of that whole sequence. The, I mean, the Spanish steps, you're not, you're not, the actual steps, you're not allowed to even sit down on them because they're protected. You know, there's a, there's a carabinieri down at the bottom with a whistle who blows the whistle every time a tourist dares to set, you know, sit down or, you know, whatever. So actually sending some real cars down, it would, was impossible. Uh, but art department constructed um, their own version on the back lot at Long Cross, divided into 
two halves and they kind of this beautiful amount of finish uh on them you know with the kind of replicating all of the marble and and all, all the detailing within it. it was absolutely beautiful um but for us it was really just uh you know it, it was a big extension number um we had to take very accurate surveys of, of the entire area um so that we you know jeff and his team could could rebuild a digital version uh, that was that that fitted within within the look of, and the aesthetic of the whole sequence, and it had to, it had to be because everything else around that sequence is is completely real. You know, it's quite a high bar. Uh, you you know, you take one misstep uh, with your digital work, and it, it you know it gets noticed very quickly. So it's it's a real testament that you know he managed to pull it off. Yeah, and and Neil, what what were the intricacies at hand for your work on that sequence? Well, it was it's building the 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 Fiat 500. So you know they're sort of well known cars that, that they don't go very fast and they're not very reliable because uh, of the age of them. So we we had to basically strip it all down, uh, build a new chassis, and then we used um, a 500 brake horsepower uh, electric vehicle motor um to power it and in the beginning it wasn't it wasn't it, it started off as a completely different sort of vehicle it was it was supposed to be a bit of a tongue-in-cheek that it's a, a fiat 500 and when we showed tom and and McHugh the test of the car i mean it was so frighteningly fast that they sort of rewrote rewrote the the sequence around the car the car became a character I mean, this thing, you know, it would be a Lamborghini off the line. It was, it was so fast, and it looks like, you know, it feels like some of those scenes are sped up, but they're not. That's how fast the car could really go. Um, and then we built some various rigs. So, so when, um, uh, you know, where we we had some roof roof mount rigs and we had some uh, rear driving rigs when they're going through the tunnels. Uh, we had um, we had a rolling rig so that they were in the in, when they were in the car so we made it slightly bigger so because uh, obviously they're very tight in the inside the Fiat 500 and you you know once you start rolling you can't really move that much so again it was one of those it was a it was a tricky sequence because there were so many little elements so I think we had a total of about seven or eight Fiat's that all did slightly different things. Um, um, yeah, so it was it was a tricky sequence, but it looked great. You know, I think it looked, everyone did a fantastic job on it. Yeah, it's it's such a, such a great car choice for a sequence like that. I was going to say one of the kind of cool things about the sequences is it's and kind of it's supposed it's like an old kind of charming car with you know sort of bucket of bolts kind of um, idea there, and a lot of times when it was going down steps or you know going across bumps or cobblestones and that sort of thing, the whole thing just kind of vibrated. You know, like the 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 hood, you know, the bonnet was like jumping up and down. The the doors were going in and out and everything. And yeah. uh, very often for these sequences, the the car is kind of covered with you know various camera rigs. That it becomes our job to kind of, um, you know, we had a digital version to kind of help get rid of those camera rigs and everything. But when the when the car is kind of all loosely put together like that, we had to kind of build all that into our model and kind of you know, so it, it made it tricky for us, but it was worth it in the end for the for the story. 
it looks great. And I'm I'm not sure which of you were working specifically on the the stunt where it's basically Tom on the motorbike kind of going off the edge of the cliff and then parachuting down. Um, but that was obviously an incredibly intricate sequence for everyone who worked on this film in really just figuring out how to problem solve and approach doing something that hadn't been done before in a very practical way. Um, and I know that there were a lot of kind of test runs of like each facet of what that looked like. But in terms of effects, you know, the camera, it really is still focused on Tom and his performance in that moment. Um, you know, but the ramp that he was on obviously had to be flat for safety. So then you guys came in and really added a lot of kind of like the granular elements of the ground around that. And even just adding like a little bit more suspension to the movement of the bicycle that would reflect that. Um, and so I was interested in some of the creative challenges and really just trying to approach something that was so unique and, and such a new type of sequence to create for a film. Yeah. I mean, uh, Simone, one, one yeah. for you. Yeah, very challenging. I think that was one of the first shows that came ILM and probably one of the late, one of the last to leave the building. Because it's such a big uh, start from Tom that we need to make sure that it was, you know, perfect to his eyes, to Macquarie eyes. The biggest challenge was to making sure that that ramp, that will we replace the ramp, the structure of the mountain, um, wasn't real, wasn't, it, it was part, you know, was as realistic as possible. That was the biggest challenge. And we went through a few itinerary, a few concept work to it uh, until um, the filmmaker were happy with it. And then obviously we had to change it, which changed suspension and tied us as well of the bike. So it, it would make realistic to go on a bumpy road and not just on flat surfaces. Yeah. And and going back to the entire train sequence, I mean, it's it's such a huge part of the movie and such a wonderful kind of sequence of scenes. Um, and I love a lot of the work that you've done on the exterior of that, where it's really thinking about, you know, here's this beautiful landscape, but like, how can we add to it a little bit more? Some of the weather elements that come into play and even just thinking about how can we make the train look like it's moving a little bit faster? And, you know, just again, I feel like you're always just elevating what has already been filmed on screen. And so I was interested in some of the complexity complexities of that as well yeah it's um it, it was a real kind of uh sort of mix of different things you know we we started shooting that sequence that was one of the first things we started shooting in Norway um and you know we we, we had a section of track in Norway that the production had leased off the national railway uh and you know it's quite a long section of track I think it was around 12 12 kilometers was it neil yeah yeah something like that it was you know a bit more yeah yeah so that kind of established the look um of the whole sequence but obviously because we were shooting for so long um you know we would we would then sort of move to back to the uk and we'd be doing work on stages for the interior carriages and then we'd be doing work uh you know back on the roof doing pickups on uh on the back lot and then at some point we we moved the whole operation out to north yorkshire um the north, north yorkshire moors to go and shoot some additional work you know which i think presented its own logistical problems um and you know obviously the terrain doesn't quite match you know it was a different time of year so it, it was a huge jigsaw just putting all of this stuff together um and you know right at the very end then all of the the sort of slow motion train wreck jackknifing carriages all of that stuff was all shot on the back lot on on a bunch of neil's big rigs you know so 
co coherency and consistency across those in those different shots was was quite complex um you know luckily while we were out in norway we managed to shoot quite a lot of reference uh you know we took did a whole bunch of survey work which enabled us to retrofit you know a lot of these other shots uh, sort of into the sequence but yeah it was it was very very complex it was a, it was so a big, big puzzle <laughs> very complex <laughs> <laughs> Neil, what what went into building a lot of the rigs for those effects that Alex was just mentioning? Well, we we had a very good uh, previous from Alex's team, which we were sort of especially for the the falling carriages and the tilting carriages. So it was really trying to, you know, get the rig to do what it did in the in the previous, and then show me cue where the camera was in conjunction with our rig, and and then match it. You know, frame for frame, the previous and and our 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 three D rig that we produce. So so everything was from our side was designed in three D, and then once we were happy with it, then we would start the physical construction. You know, once we were happy that we knew we could get the shot. So um, you know, but it was just a mammoth mammoth task. You know, as I say, starting from a it was based on a Britannia railway uh train but there were slight modifications that we did but we we literally built it almost for real um you know our version of the train weighed 80 ton um we had a, a a scania truck engine that was a donor vehicle for when we drove the train off the bridge that was self-propelled it was probably the biggest remote control model that that i've ever built um and 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 of course, once you, once you press the button to go down the hill, that's that's it. There's no turning back. So we had one take at it, and 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 uh, that was it. Uh, we, and it all went well. You know, we we built the bridge section, which which Alex and his team basically camouflaged. We built the, the and we only had literally, I think it was two hundred meters to get up to speed. So we knew. I, I did a sort of. Uh, uh, a tech viz of of weight and motion um to to figure out where it was going to land we scanned the the quarry where we where we did it because obviously i didn't want it hitting the other side of the of the quarry um and it worked you know all our cal calculations were spot on you know McHugh even asked where it was going to land in the quarry and i put a, a traffic cone there and uh the the train hit it straight back right in the middle of it so i was quite happy with the outcome of that that's incredible that traffic cone in your house now <laughs> yes it's a bit squashed but it's uh yes it's like modern art on your wall now it is yeah uh well i'm genuinely so impressed with with the work that you all did i mean i think there's a reason that this franchise is so revered for for the effects work and the way that it just enhances the storytelling and the journey of these characters so congratulations on your well-deserved nominations this season and thank you so much thank you thank you, thank thank you. you.